When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible. And I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I try to take the questions of the day and uh, answer them as best I can. Today, I want to thank uh, all the listeners that have let me know that you listen. Um, thankful for Chris, who said that he listens and encouraged me on Sunday to keep uh, keep sharing. And I'm thankful for his witness and um, his words to me on that day. So if you like a podcast, you know, not necessarily this one, but some other one, tell them, tell somebody that you like their podcast or whatever you're, you're um, listening to. But uh, we're going to get to it today. Um, I do talk a little bit about uh, church abuse and clergy abuse and um, spiritual and sexual and physical abuse in the church in this episode. So I just want to warn people about that, um, as that is a so topic for many victims that um, just even talking about it in, in a way that, um, and just talking about it can be very triggering. I certainly am someone who has been triggered by things I've heard and my own PTSD. I've, I've talked about it a lot on here. So just want to give that warning up front. As we look at the, the ongoing story of Samuel and Eli today. But thanks again for listening. If you've been following the story of Eli and his house, um, Eli, 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 um, means God or my God. It is, uh, it is what Jesus says when he's crucified. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God. So Eli, El is God, like Elohim is a name for God. El means God in Hebrew and Aramaic, which is what Jesus is speaking at the cross. But Eli means my God. E, the E ending there is my, how you say me. Um, or my. And so this man who has ostensibly, to every outward appearance, devoted his life to this one true and living God, to Yahweh, uh, although he has worked in this tabernacle as the high priest, his family has worked there, the judgment of God is coming because he has systematically and continually disrespected his job and disrespected the people that have come to worship. His sons have done even worse things than him, and he's tolerated them and overlooked what they're doing. And so this judgment comes upon God. This unnamed man of God shows up to Eli. You can already see um, this is before there's any kings in Israel. We're still technically in the time of the judges where these mighty men and women would rise up Deborah is one of them. Jephthah, he's a guy that, remember, he makes an oath that he'll kill the first thing that comes out of his house when he, if he wins the battle and sacrifice it to God while his daughter comes out of the house first after his victory. So these are rough-and-tumble characters, uh, the judges. There's Gideon who drinks at the stream and sorts through his troops to get whittle them down to 300 
to attack the, um, the Midianites or the Amalekites, I forget which, which kites or which Amalekites, Hivites, Jebusites, Perizzites, Mosquito Bites, they were fighting at that time. But uh, the time of the judges has come to a close, but already we can see this, this tension between the temple or the tabernacle with Eli's family and the, and the tension between the prophets who are there to call them out, to say, you've gone too far, this is too much. Uh, God's judgment is coming. The prophets wander around. They are not that popular. No one really wants them around. And yet this is the life that Samuel has been called to. And then tomorrow, if you come back tomorrow, we're going to read the story of the calling of Samuel, where God speaks to him in the night. But we're not there yet. This curse that is coming upon Eli um, is a curse about the priesthood, um, even though he was called to stand before the altar of the Lord even though he was called to wear the linen ephod and to burn incense before God, um, even though he was given all, this, all this, these riches of God's secret wisdom, um, he has now, his greed and his avarice and his family's lust and greed has choked the people of God. Um, and the, the way that is mo- it's most prominent or the most egregious offense is this, the meat hooks guys, I think this is where the phrase meat hooks come from. I'm not sure. But they had a three-pronged fork. So I'm picturing like a sort of an Aquaman scene, Jason Momoa with his trident, a three-pronged fork. They would stick into the boiling pot and pull out the meat that was intended to be offered to God. And so messing with this salvation system has gotten them uh, crossways with the God who's, who the tabernacle is dedicated to. The prophecy is very specific. Hophni and Phineas will die on the same day. Um, they will die on the same day. And then he says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. A faithful priest will be raised up, who shall do according to what in my heart is what is in my heart and in my mind. Um, I think he's talking about Samuel here, more than likely. Although Samuel doesn't seem to have any role in the priesthood. He could be talking about another priest that will be coming. Um, and then he says that um, the destruction will be so great that no one else in Eli's family will, will go on to serve God in this way, and none of his relatives will either. Um, it's harsh. Judgment is harsh. Um, it's hard to sort of look back on this time, and um, it's hard to look back on this time and see what God is up to, see what God is doing. But like most times in our lives or in the Bible, God is working on a multifaceted uh, battlefront. Um, he is not working on a, just a linear timeline of human experience. He is working on all the timelines of human experience, of all the timelines that we see and the ones we don't see. God is working in all those ways. Um, God is working through this line of priesthood. The priesthood that does come out after the line of Eli is finished is the, the priesthood of Zadok. Zadok the priest. Um, Zadok the priest, the hymn, is played at most British coronations. It's a favorite Anglican hymn. But it, um, and I think it spoke to early Anglicans who felt um, that the breach with Rome was, was traumatic, but here is a new priesthood raised up from the line of Zadok. So this, um, this curse, this, this uh, statement of God's judgment is tough. It's hard. It's hard to bear. And yet Samuel's there observing this. He's right in the middle of it. Um, I don't know if you as a child observed the judgment of God 
falling on anyone. And what I mean by judgment is, is simply karma, um, getting what you sowed, sowing what you reap, reaping what you sowed. Um, as the meme says, I am once again experiencing the consequences of my actions. <laughs> um, so much of our um, lives are dedicated to sort of reaping what we have sown. Now, and this is where the judgment of God can be seen most plainly. The law, we break the law, the law breaks us. And yet, even as the judgment of God is being poured out in the family of Eli, even as the judgment of God, which seems really harsh and rough, is falling, uh, to the people who have been oppressed by this family, to the people that have been abused and raped and sexually assaulted and had things stolen from them by this family, this is a day of great liberation for them, a day of great freedom. And whenever we see a narrative of judgment in the Bible, or even some of those Psalms that are pretty hard to, hard to kind of understand from, a, from our current uh, perspective on how we treat each other, whenever we're confronted with those kinds of statements in the Bible, we've got to remember that these are the perspectives of the people that were under the system, the people that were being abused by the system. This is their statement. This is their perspective. And we always need to respect the victim's perspective in anything. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention is meeting this week um, in Nashville, Tennessee. And one of their big items of discussion is how to handle the abuse crisis that has happened in their denomination, the cover-ups of ministers as they're shuffled from church to church as they abuse more people. And we can look back as Episcopalians and say, oh, we fixed all those problems. We don't have those anymore. We have had those problems, and we still have problems with abuse in the church. Um, every church does. Every human organization does. And yet, when a church does it, it's extremely, uh, the effects are felt in a much broader and more uh, deep way. Because this is a place where you're supposed to feel safe. This is the place where you are dearly beloved. This is the place where you're supposed to be nurtured and cared for and listened to. And when, it, when situations of abuse come in, it is devastating, a lifelong devastation. And so we remember that God does care about abuse in the church. And these stories from 1 Samuel are meant to remind us of that, that God doesn't just overlook when people are suffering. God doesn't ignore the sufferings of God's people that are inflicted on the hands of God's, by the hands of God's agents um, on this earth. And so as we do our safeguarding stuff and sort through that and think of ways that we can be more um, we can be more kind and loving and caring and nurturing for people that are vulnerable amongst us. And even for us, all of us are vulnerable on some level. Um, that, is, that is the calling of this text, that we don't want to end up in a situation like this. And if we do, even if we do, um, even if we do blow it, and even if we do fail and fall, God's grace is always there. God's grace is there in the story of Eli and Samuel. Um, God's grace is there in this, in this little boy's life who is going to carry this lesson with him all his life. He is going to call people to repentance before they get in too deep. He's going to be a person that intervenes in key situations that before they get worse. And I think that is one of our tasks as prophets, especially if you've suffered on, from the church, from spiritual abuse or other kinds of abuse from the church. You are now a prophet. You are now someone who can speak to what can happen if we continue down certain paths, what can happen if we overlook the suffering of people in real time and space? 
So we are called to that prophetic work today, just as our Southern Baptist brothers and sisters are called to that work as well in their context. Um, This is what God is doing in the earth. Amen. Let's continue with a canticle. Do the Song of the Redeemed on page 94. O ruler of the universe, Lord God, great deeds are they that you have done, surpassing human understanding. Your ways are ways of righteousness and truth, O king of all the ages. Who can fail to do you homage, Lord, and sing the praises of your name? For you only are the Holy One. All nations will draw near and fall down before you, because your just and holy works have been revealed. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And our creed is on page 96.